Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We are at Media Row at the Super Bowl, or I should say the media uh, room at the NFL Experience is what they're calling it. And joining me at the table um, is Chief Sullivan from Phoenix PD. Chief, uh, welcome. It's good to talk to you again, but you've got to be so busy right now. It's definitely a busy time here for the Phoenix Police Department. Um, I've been, I was here on Tuesday. A little bit of a different atmosphere now that there are so many other people in here. Um, I had the privilege of being with you the other night and other leadership in, in policing and, and actually public safety with people that are going to be hosting the Super Bowl in the future. This is an effort that everybody seems to take so seriously and taking pride that it goes off without a hitch. Absolutely. Our federal, state, and local partners are, are lockstep in this this effort. And then we have uh, folks from uh, Las Vegas and New Orleans that are uh, learning from what we did over the past week. Um, I had uh, the uh, special agent in charge of the Phoenix field office of the FBI in studio with me yesterday and asked him about the coordination because I've just for just for the concept of all the coordination it must take. And he said everywhere he's been, it's never been better partnerships with local law enforcement that he's seen here in Arizona. I'll second that. Yeah. And, and I said no egos. And he said, it's really, you know, you know, you look at a type A personalities, but that everybody just has a goal in mind and works together. And it's through all levels. Uh, you know, I can pick up the phone and call the special agent uh, Davis and, and make sure that uh, we have clear communication, but it's all the way down. When you, uh, you know, stepping into this role as you have recently um, and you've kind of assessing what Phoenix PD is all about and now to see this kind of an event going on here, does it give you a different picture of the men and women that work with for you? Not a different picture. It's just it showcases what I already knew. And what do you see um, at an event like this? I will tell you from a perspective of civilian, I, I, the first person I saw was a Phoenix police officer on Tuesday. He was very friendly, and I would, was watching officers walk around, but unless you're looking for them, they really are behind the scenes, but the backbone of everything that's happening. Absolutely. And I got to walk around yesterday and talk to a number of officers who were out uh, just making sure the events went off safely, and um, they did this successfully last night. We look forward to a successful uh, couple more days. We've highlighted for a long time here in Phoenix that there is a, you have a staffing issue, as many agencies do across the country. What does this do with all the overtime that's necessary? Does it add to, does it add to that stress, or is it just one more thing you guys have to take care of? You know, we're focused on wellness with our officers and make sure that they have time to, uh, to rest and, and coordination with other departments. Uh, uh, the Sheriff's Department, Sheriff Pinzone, has been uh, helping us out here, and, and we have Glendale officers here in Phoenix as well helping us. Yeah, and then you couple this, too, that Scottsdale is such a big agency here in the Valley as well, but they are so consumed with the WM Phoenix Open, they need resources to helping them, DPS and otherwise. So it really has to take a team effort, doesn't it? It does, and uh, that's why we have a multi... Uh, 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 our centers put together, and everybody's there uh, working uh, right now and through this entire process. This has been... When I talked with uh, the uh, Special Agent Davis, he talked about this taking 18 months or so to kind of put together. Um, as long as you've been involved, you had to kind of jump in with so many different things on your plate. How big of a role did this preparation take in your office from the day you got here? Day one. Uh, I've, I've had multiple briefings uh, on this and, and been able to uh, stay on task with it, but uh, my team had been well 
on top of it before I got here. When you uh, when you assess, when you reassess at the end, and like everybody does a debrief and how things went, uh, are you seeing things now that you say we could do better next time? Are you seeing things now and say that's a great idea? I hope Vegas takes this from us as well. Hey, we, we always find things like that. Uh, we we see things already that we, we would uh, do slightly differently, but overall, uh, it's a plan that's being well executed. Um, I know that recruiting is something you've been focused on, and, and when we were at that leadership and policing thing that was facilitating the conversation, you talked about recruitment, but especially recruiting female officers. Um, how is that going, and why the focus on that? It's a focus that just make sure that we have perspectives from every angle in policing. And what I can tell you is I welcomed a new recruit class, uh, 32 folks uh, raise our hands and step forward to, to be Phoenix police officers. That's a big change. And that, the last class was over 30 uh, recruits that stepped in, and, and uh, we're seeing a change. And, and what's interesting about that is those young officers, as we've had, we've talked about the reputation in policing around the country and changes sometimes needed to be made in how things were done, these young officers are going to be the facilitators of that change. Absolutely. Yeah. Your policies and how you change them and, and what now being able to train this next generation, are there new challenges with the younger generation? You know, I, I think I've, I've talked for years about the paradigm shift. You know, when I came on to the department, virtually all of us stayed the entire career. Uh, you know, I think we're going to see more and more folks that come into this career, spend five, seven, ten years, and then go on and do something else. And that's okay. Uh, but that's just generational changes. Do you think the uh, the opposite of that is the same as well? As I've, no, I've had some friends that got into their careers in their mid-20s, late-20s, early-30s, and thought, you know what, this just isn't fulfilling. I want to do something that's meaningful. And then that's when they're jumping into law. And I'm glad you said that. We have a number of folks that are a little uh, further up in age that are in that 32-person uh, recruit class that's, uh, that's starting next week. So um, is this I, – I asked uh, I asked a special agent Davis this question. Um, he's such a football fan as well. He played football at UCLA. And I said, do you get the chance to enjoy this? Or is this just so laser-focused on the job? How, what's the – you know, um, is it, are you able to enjoy this at all? Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it changes up the, the daily rhythm that, uh, that I get to go through. I get to go out and talk to officers. Uh, that I don't normally get to see uh, and get to see a wide variety of them just walking down the street. So you've been with a couple of different agencies in the country, and I've, I'm biased. Now, my brother's a cop in my hometown, so I don't say this in front of him and his wife, but I've looked at Phoenix PD, and I thought they're one of the best agencies I've seen in the country. They really are good people, great ambassadors for the city. Do you feel that way about the agencies and what you've seen? I certainly do. I wouldn't be here if I didn't believe that. And so uh, the last question then will be about the issue that's going on with the DOJ right now. How is that going? Because that's something, obviously, you want to get past so that Phoenix PD can move on. Are you getting closer to that? Hey, that's a question for the Department of Justice. You know, we're, we're going to work hard. We're going to do the best uh, regardless of what the Department of Justice uh, brings forward to us. So what do you think um, about, as you move forward, what are some of the changes that you're going to make either way that we can expect or we're going to see soon from leadership and what we're going to see with Phoenix PD? You know, as we move forward, we're just to be focused on transparency and the accountability uh, within. We're going to be able to, I said it from the beginning, self-assess and self-correct. We're not going to wait 
uh, for somebody else to point out deficiencies. We're going to identify them ourselves and fix them. That's terrific, Chief. I appreciate the time. I, I saw you walk in with a bunch of people, and I said, there's no way they're going to be able to make time because you're going to be busy. But we always appreciate hearing from you, and I hope to hear more from you. And if you, when this is over, maybe take a deep breath and assess how things went. Mike, always time for you. Thanks, Chief. I appreciate that. Chief Michael Sullivan with the Phoenix Police Department. We'll be back here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, kind of cool to sit down with the chief of police. We've had over the last few days, I've been, I was just telling the chief from Phoenix, we had Chief Sullivan on with us. Um, I thought I knew a lot about law enforcement, and I guess maybe I know more than the average person. But um, I have learned so much with the events that I've had the privilege of doing and the things I've been able to do over the last few days, uh, visiting public safety officers. And I, I talk about police. But it's public safety in general. There are paramedics and firefighters and people that are training, uh, you know, for a multitude of, of things. And it's always plan for the worst, hope for the best. And I, I'm watching this room full of leadership. I'm talking about chiefs, uh, fire chiefs, police chiefs, um, and heads of departments from Vegas and, and from New Orleans here um, watching all of this happen. And I got to tell you the truth. It, it, it really makes me feel good that they are the backbone of all of this. They are behind the scenes. They try to remain behind the scenes and making sure that everybody's safe. But if you're going to need them, they're going to be there. And that's what's really cool. Um, so... Uh so that's right. I just I just had an Andy Reid sighting. Um, so I just got completely distracted from what I was saying. Coach Reid just walked in the building uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs. So, um, Jessica, why don't you go see if you can get Coach Andy Reid to come on the show with us? <laughs> Everybody's taking his picture. I got completely distracted. But anyway, it was a great conversation with them. Uh, President Biden uh, talked about uh, the documents at his home. He said a couple of the classified documents that were found are over 50. 50 years old, or almost 50 years old. Let me explain to you what the problem is with that. Uh, has been explained to me by people that are, have classified documents as their um, this handling of classified documents. Presidents and vice presidents, because of the mobility of the job they do, have what's called a skiff, whether it's in their home or whatever building they're in, where they have access to classified documents that other people don't. The president of the United States can declassify a document if he wants to. Senators and House members, congressmen and congresswomen and senators do not do not have that kind of access. In other words, when you are someone that is a member of Cong Congress, and I, um, if you are even with the FBI or a federal agency, as one of my friends, as we've heard Steve Ho Hooper tell me on the phone, uh, on the air, and we've talked about this, he said there have been times when they were working on a case where in the middle of the night um, there was something of urgency that needs to be read and they do not send it to your home. They can't bring it to your home. You get out of bed. You get in your car. You drive to the building and you go to the skiff. You can't take your any recording equipment in. You can't take notes and bring them out. You can't do any of those things. You view your documents. You commit it to memory and you leave the room. Members of Congress cannot, cannot take classified documents when they go somewhere. Now, again, I'm not trying to make a, a I, I'm going to make a pun here and I don't mean to, and in, in a fed, I'm not going to make a federal case out of this. But the the problem here may be systemic. This is a problem that everyone should be asking, and the question everyone should be 
asking is, how much does this happen? You know what I mean? How much does this happen? And because we have presidents and vice presidents and now we've got retired senators, people, what do they have? Could it possibly compromise? Other than it being a PR nightmare, is this something that could compromise national security? We understand that we tried to get secrets from other people and people try to get secrets from us. It's part of the game. But we have a national security issue with so many different things. And when you see this happening, it is a very big deal. Now, you've got the president of the United States has a different access now and a different right to things than he did as a United States senator. I don't care how long he was in the industry he, or in the business, whatever you want to call it. And so if he's got classified documents from about 50 years ago, how many other classified documents has he mishandled? Not just him, other people. Because I know for a fact, people that work in the intelligence industry, people that work in the federal, whether it's the FBI or the CIA, and I know people that are intelligence analysts. And if they mishandle classified information, they could not only lose their job, they could lose their clearance, which means they can't get another job. That's how seriously this is taken. I know someone that worked in the intelligence gathering world that did a job for the federal government that was so classified that their uh, resume won't even tell you what agency they worked for. It just said federal assignment on the resume for how long it was. So they take these documents seriously. The mishandling of them, how, how uh, much does it happen and what does it mean? If the president of the United States has made an admission that he had a classified document in his possession. Now, he said it was a staff member's fault, but uh, that's even worse. I want you to think about this. If you are a United States senator or a House member or whatever, and you have access to a classified document, um, why would your staff have it? Why would your staff put their hands on it and be able to see it unless they had the same kind of a clearance? Because I can also tell you from experience that I know from other people that when you have access, that doesn't mean everybody has access. That when you have access to the SCIF and classified documents, you don't have access to all of the documents in that room. You have access to your documents. It doesn't mean you have carte blanche to start reading files if they were available. You have access to what you have access to. And sometimes even husbands and wives don't share information because it's just the rule. You just don't do it. You don't ask. I won't tell. It's just part of the, you know, and then there may come a day we can talk about it. So I do think that this is a big deal from an American perspective. It's not because we have a Democrat president and I'm a Republican. It's because this, after we saw what happened with former President Trump having documents and documents that were, they say are mishandled, let's say that's the case, and now it's it moved on to uh, President Biden, Vice President Pence. There was another investigation by federal authorities of his home looking for more documents. We all have to ask that question. And I mean genu- genuinely ask that question. Even if there is a period of amnesty and saying um, whether or not you uh, there is going to be a punishment, but there's an amnesty period. I want you to go through every document you have, and if you have something that's deemed classified that we should have had in the National Archives that you should not have had in your possession, it is time to turn them in. Because when the amnesty period ends, if you get caught, then it's over. And there's going to be whatever it takes to fix this issue, and it is a national security issue. All right, coming up in, in a few moments, what we're going to do here on the show is uh, we are going to talk uh, we're going to talk about the uh, police and arresting a students in school for a simulated attack it's an absolutely absurd story we'll get to it next
prone values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, I, uh, it was great. Thanks for uh, being here, by the way. Friday here, I am distracted with everything going on. Famous athletes, good people, and I just ran into some recruiters from the Army National Guard, and uh, we're going to try to get them on the show. I was just talking to them about possibly talking to them down the road because they're the recruiters for the National Guard here in the state of Arizona. We may try to get them on the air later on, but we're going to get them on the air in the near future. Here is a story that I was watching this story, and uh, it is um, crazy to me um, that someone would do this. Police arrested three students in Florida. Of course, it's my home state of Florida. Uh, Manatee County Sheriff's Office in the Buffalo Creek Middle School. Uh, a video was found. A student at Paris Community High School was arrested. And uh, and uh, an incident occurred at the Buffalo Creek Middle School. Uh, they filmed the video of a fake, a simulated school shooting. The second video found was reportedly filmed during a bomb threat evacuation at the school. The student was charged with a second-degree felony for making written or electronic threats to kill, do bodily injury, or conduct a mass shooting. A second student from the community high school was also arrested for filming a video of simulating mass shootings. The student also reportedly admitting to filming the videos according to the statement. And here is a quote. The school administration, as well as partnership with local sheriff's departments, have taken those threats very seriously. It's unfortunate that these threats continue and that they disrupt education for so many. We find When we find who is responsible we will arrest them. That's Rick Wells, the Manatee County Sheriff. Off, uh, Sheriff uh, said this in a report to WFLA. We will take them to jail. Here is a life lesson for everyone is, again, the consequences have to be severe, then people won't do it. We've talked about this before, about when I was young, it was um, what was done when I was young was in airports because there was different access. And there's a lot of people that don't remember the old access to airports. You could actually walk all the way to the gate with somebody who was um, flying. You would, couldn't go through the gate. You were checked in at the gate to get on your airplane. So family members could av- actually give you a hug and a kiss goodbye at the gate. That's no longer possible because of our security zones. What's fascinating about that to me is they had a, a, a big campaign that said, don't do it. It's not funny. It's not a joking matter. Don't joke about bombs. Don't joke about hijacking. Don't joke about guns. And when it happens, there were serious consequences. And I will tell you, a family member of mine was flying, and another family member of mine, an adult, made a joke about, did you you put your gun in your bag? And... There was a big sign that said this is not a joke. And everybody that was working at the gate looked at this person and said, what what the, you know. And so they had to pull my cousin who was flying off the flight. They pulled his bag off the flight. They searched all of his items. And this person in my family, who I don't want to say their name or which which relative it was, um, was taken into a room and was questioned by the FBI for about two hours while the rest of us waited horrified at what a dumb joke that was. My point is when something like this is taken this seriously, there is consequences that have to be put out there so that people know that it's not funny. And kids, we understand to a certain extent, kids don't deal or don't focus on consequences. You know, they don't think about the unintended consequences of what they might be doing. But this is something else. We know that gun control is something that people are talking about. We go a long way 
to fixing things with other means by then going after law-abiding people. Let's go after the people that are breaking the law. Here's an example of where I think we're going in the wrong direction with a lot of this stuff. And it is a left turn from this story. But it's something that's been going on for a while now. Multiple cities in California are now seeing rampant public prostitution activity, pushing residents in many places into stress and fear, with critics blaming the situation on bills that repealed laws against loitering for prostitution. So this is where consequences, this is not a law enforcement thing. We know lack of law enforcement leads to more crime. But when law enforcement is not allowed, when law enforcement doesn't have the ability to enforce laws, this is what happens. I've talked a lot about predatory behavior. Here we are at this beautiful Phoenix Convention Center. There is a ton of people walking around. It is a madhouse here. We just saw the fake Andy Reid walk by not too long ago, and everybody was around him because he looks so much like the coach, but he is a TikTok performer. You know, he, he's a contributor. And, you know, so everybody's having fun. We're focused on the money that's being made and the atmosphere and all of the cool things that are happening. And um, when you see this happening like it is, we think of those events. What we don't think about, what we aren't thinking about, is using this as a time where we can prey upon other people. But that's exactly what people do. It's exactly what people do when they are predators. That's the predatory behavior. Um, and so this is where um, I look at this and I think if you don't have um, the gene in you, if you don't have that predatory behavior gene in you, it is uh, foreign to you. But so you relax laws and you think you're doing the right thing, but the unintended consequences now are neighborhoods are, are, are devastated. And so we've got to figure out a way to... Um, Give people, make sure you're not invading on people's rights, but also um, the, uh, and I'm getting distracted by more people that are coming over to the table, but having people that are having situations where laws are being enforced and we're giving police officers the ability to, to stop crimes. We're not talking about infringing on people's rights. We're talking about giving people the right to live their lives in a way that's peaceful. And, and this has gone way too far. Uh, what we're going to do coming up here in just a few moments is we're going to go back to the topic of where we are here. We're going to go over some of the things we've seen, the people we know, and what is going on. So all that's coming up here in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, we just want to take a quick moment and kind of give you an update of what we're doing here. We are out at the NFL Experience, and this is uh, the NFL Experience at the Phoenix Convention Center. We are in Media Row. It's not even Radio Row anymore. There's television. There's podcasts. they got TikTok. I mean, everybody in the world is descending on this place. It is so busy. Uh, we've reached out to a few. If you are a sports junkie, you know a lot of these names. We may be getting Donovan McNabb may stop by the table. We've, and it's, it's hard to explain if you're not sitting here. It is a madhouse. So getting them in a time frame that works is a difficult to do. But we've been working on getting Donovan McNabb on the show. Uh, Samantha Ponder, broadcaster for ESPN, is so well known. But the cool thing about it is Samantha Ponder is from Arizona. She is a Phoenix girl. She went to um, high school at Central High School in downtown Phoenix. And so we 
are trying to set up a time for you to talk to a local girl who has made such a big name for herself in broadcasting and sports broadcasting. So we're trying to do that as quickly as we can. We're going to get her if possible. Um, and I will tell you, when I'm, I'm looking at some of the other people that are here, this is an experience that I've never had. And I've done some really cool stuff, especially in the political world. I've been able to um, – I've covered presidential nominations. I've been to the RNC twice. I've done some cool stuff. been to a State of the Union address. I get to do some very cool things in this job. It's blessed me beyond measure. This is, I got to say, right up there, if not the coolest. It's right there as one of the coolest things that I've been able to do. But I think part of it is because I'm watching the eyes of the world right on the city that I love so much. I love Arizona, and this is cool. This morning we had um, Marsha Meyer on with us, and she is uh, she is the founder of an organization that has, does fantastic work. And the, the organization is, um, is helping people with character and helping build character in young people. And it's Be Kind uh, People Project, and she's the co-founder. So much it, – it is doing such great work that the NFL jumped in and donated $200,000. It gave them a $200,000 grant for their organization. It's going to help with the community center at, in, at like 14th Street and Van Buren in downtown Phoenix. It is such a cool thing that they're doing. And there was a great story of a couple of girls that are sisters that were raised as part of 11 kids by a single mom. And the single mom a couple of years ago passed away. And not only were these girls um, finishing college at the time, they helped raise the nine others. So this was such a moving story that Roger Goodell, the uh, NFL um, commissioner, was at this event, got on stage, recognized the hard work of these two young women and the hard work they've done with the Be Kind uh, People Project here in Arizona, that he gave them tickets to the game. So these are, in my opinion, the legacy left behind is obviously the money that's been spent, but the money that the NFL brings in and donates. And then when you tie the NFL name with some of these um, organizations, when you tie the name and give that kind of recognition, it is impossible to not understand that this is going to change a lot of these organizations. So I love the NFL being here. I like what it does for tourism. I like all of that. But the impact in community projects is amazing. I, I, and I, we talk about the uh, WM Phoenix Open that's going on. I want to make sure that we keep that um, in the front of our mind. But you got to make sure with the, that event is raising millions of dollars every year for charities in Arizona. It's a specifically Arizona event. It is well watched. It's well known around the world. But there's nothing like the Super Bowl. And it is an event that is absolutely incredible. And when you see what's happening in this room, the people we've had the privilege of talking to um, and the people that are walking around this room, you've just got to absolutely love it. I know I do. I am. I am. Um, I am. Uh, it, it is really kind of cool to see it happen. Um, are we going to um, I see Mr. McNabb. Is he coming in now or is he going to come in in the next segment of the show? Because I've only got about two minutes left. Yeah, if you want to jump in, we may, we're going to, I would, this is uh, someone that I have been uh, waiting to talk to for a long time. Um, we got a couple of minutes left here. So we're going to get a t our time with him if we can. He is being mobbed by people as you would expect. Um, joining me here at the table with the couple of minutes we have left is Donovan McNabb. And it is such a pleasure. 
It is such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much. Testing, testing, one, two. Hello, You're ladies on. and gentlemen. And How clear. you doing? Loud and clear. Yes, indeed. How's everything? It's good. How is it with you? You know what? I can't complain. You know, we're here at Media Row. Um, you know, the energy level is high. I'm ready to, ready to get it on. Do you ever do you ever get used to this? I mean, you have people, you walk around, everybody wants to meet you, especially when it's a sporting event. Do you get used to it? There's no such thing as getting used to it. Um, and, I, you know, being a media member myself, I know how stressful it can be to try to get some uh, analysts to come on or just get some players to just talk about the particular event in which you're at. Um, so the exciting part for me is to see faces that I haven't seen in a while. Yeah. You know, when you're an alum and you're, I should say, a guy who's away from the game, uh, it's a little different than when you were playing. But it's good to see a lot of people that I haven't seen in a while. Well, we have we have the good fortune here we're at KTAR we're partners with Arizona Sports okay. so I work with Ron Wolfley you know okay, and, yeah, so, and so he talks I about that I don't have the deep scratchy voice yeah. like Ron <laughs> uh, but I love I love his work yeah and he's he's uh, someone that is an alumni I've been watching him talk and he says it's like a reunion getting yeah. to talk to people yeah. it, you never lose it do you no no you don't and, and again it, it's more of when you see familiar faces and almost uh, you start to reflect on those times when you did see each other consistently and so uh, I enjoy this aspect of it. Um, you know, sometimes you got to cut it short because you have so much fun. But that's what it's all about. What do you miss more, the competition or the camaraderie in the locker room? Camaraderie in the locker room. Um, the competition was just, it was like being a kid in a playground. You're just out there playing. But it's more about the work you put forth, the extra effort, the sacrifice, the jokes, uh, you know, the, the the weight room, out out on the practice field, away from the facility, those are the times that you remember of your time playing. You know, for me, it was, I grew up in Southwest Florida, and and watching some really great athletes that turned into professional athletes, right. they seemed to me to be, I was Pop Warner teammates with Deion Sanders. <laughs> Deion and I played Pop Warner ball together. That is funny. And, and But to watch him on the field as a kid, right. as tenacious then, as talented as he was, he was somebody you knew took it so seriously. Right. And, he, and you, There's no way you get to the level that you guys get to without keeping that same work right. ethic along with the talent you have to have, right? Right. right. Well, again, you got to have a hunger. Uh, and for a lot of these a lot of these kids, even when we grew up, we played multiple sports. So if you were playing football, you were embedded in football. And when football season was over, then you go to basketball, baseball, track, whatever it may be. But it's funny you bring that up because you watch some kids when they're young and you go, that kid's going to be something. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you look up and you're watching them on Sundays. Yeah. And, and so it says a lot about the kid and his ability, but it also says a lot about his will. Yeah. His will to be great. It wasn't just him. Edgar and James grew up in Southwest Florida. I yes. watched him play as a Pop Warner and high school football player. And you're right. The same attitude. Everybody saw him as special at 12 years old. Right. And he did it. And thankfully for me, he went to the U because I'm a U guy. But to see those guys do that and the, to get to the level that you were at, what was your favorite sport in high school? Basketball. Basketball was my favorite sport because I wanted to be Michael Jordan. Uh, and every move that he made, I went out on the playground and tried to perfect that move. Well, I would say you didn't turn into Michael Jordan, but it worked out okay for you. I still was Michael Jordan on the football field. You were. Uh, I'll go with that one. Let's go with that. <laughs> so, uh, uh, do you now? What do you, the game? Talk to me about the game real quick. What, what do you see happening in the game? And uh, do you have a favorite? Uh, I have a well. I mean, I have a favorite coach. 
and I have a favorite team. Okay. Um, now, what do I see happening in this game? I see two teams battling. Uh, the team that doesn't turn the football over, that continues to move the chains on third down, and settle for touchdowns instead of field goals wins this game. And it's easy to say that because people can say, oh, well, that's easy. How could you say that? Well, the problem in the Super Bowl, when you turn the football over one or two times, that ends up to be at 14 points, <laughs> which those are the points that later in the game may haunt you. So if you don't turn the football over and you're moving the chains on third down, that eliminates the punting aspect. And then you, if you get one or two field goals, that's great, but then all of a sudden you get two, three touchdowns, now you find yourself up 10 by the fourth quarter. It's been an honor to meet you. And, I appreciate and, and it. I've watched you for years, and, I, and it's just great to meet you. And thanks for stopping by. I know you were getting mobbed, so thank you so much. Oh, for man, I really appreciate it. Hey, Arizona's my home, baby. That's where we do things. All right, Donovan McNab joining us for a few moments. We'll be right back.